episode three coming up next. And we're talking about therapy, counseling, and what we've learned during this time of real mental stress and fatigue from the pandemic, from these multiple crises. And what's really interesting about this episode is that all four of us here on the Men Up podcast team are coming at this relationship to counseling and therapy in a different point in our journey. Some of us have accessed therapy and counseling for years, decades even. Some of us haven't started that journey yet. But what's really important is that we're having the conversation. We're normalizing conversations around our mental health and utilizing counseling and therapy as a means for bettering that health. Before we get into the episode, you know how we like to do it here at the Men Up Podcast. We got the pep talk, ways to get connected, inspired, motivated for the episode, day, and week ahead. So, Will, what do you got for us? Did anybody watch Ted Lasso? It's one of the most optimistic shows out there. One of the creators, Jason Sudeikis, accepted in a Golden Globe. In his speech, he cited a book by Tolstoy called The Three Questions. The three questions are, when is the right time? Who are the right people? And what is the most important thing to do? And for me, the right time clearly is right now. Who are the right people? It's the people I'm surrounding myself with. Particularly, three guys on this podcast. They're helping me go through some stuff. And then what is the most important thing to do? It's to help people. It's to get out there, ask questions, be a good listener, observe, role model. That's it. And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Christian Shabu. Drew Chin. Will Van Dyke. Lamar Womble. And thank you for joining us this week and every week as we dig into culture, current events, and our own events, and as we redefine manhood and masculinity so that we, however you identify, can all thrive. All right, y'all. So in episode three here, hopefully you've gotten used to it the way we like to start off here in season two. This time around, Lamar, it is over to you for the starting lineup question. All right, gentlemen. So the starting lineup question is, I don't know. I think that was a, I think that was a drum roll, but it was not. I liked it. I liked it. Good drum roll. <laughs> what is the most supportive thing someone has done for you? It's a tough one. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off to Drew. Well, what you got, brother, bro, they, bro, they, brother. <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to my, my brother and sister, um, Tyler and Lika, this goes to you. They were the ones that encouraged my now wife and I to get uh, premarital counseling. So I think it's kind of fitting given our topic today, but highly recommend it. Really helped level set us in like what we thought about marriage and um, prompted us for future conversations. You know, I, I have to go with like my mom being a single mom and putting me, you know, part part of the way through college, uh, you know, that, that sort of launched pretty much everything else in my life, my career, my wife all came out of getting to, you know, getting through college and the, the support that she was able to provide to me during, during that time. Um, but you know, since then too, I I'd have to throw it to my wife, uh, as well, because I traveled a lot over the last 10 years. And she's just been really supportive of that, you know, just her steadiness and, and um, constant support, I think is, uh, is just like a cumulative effect. Yeah, I would build off that to Will. 
having a single mom that also just showed up for every single thing. You know, I think about my mom when I was in middle school and high school was working three, sometimes four jobs and somehow made it to every track meet, somehow made it to every basketball game. And I, I, I genuinely don't know how she did that just from a time perspective, but she did. And I think about that and I think about dozens upon dozens of different examples where it was above and beyond for her to be supportive and somehow she made it happen. And even one specific example, I remember her and my stepdad at one time, I locked my keys out of my car, uh, which also locked me uh, out of my apartment. And it was just a bunch of nonsense. It was the middle of the day. It was a Saturday. And her and my stepdad were just like, yeah, okay, we'll drive down to Connecticut three hours just to give you spare keys. Because for some reason, I gave them my spare keys, not somebody more local. They drove down three hours, gave me the spare keys and just went home. And I was just like, that's an incredibly supportive thing, like just above and beyond. But I think that that example and, and living by that example all the time has just been the most supportive thing. But to your point, Will, very cumulative, not just one thing. Yeah, um, I picked the question and then I immediately said, is that too hard a question? And for me, it is actually, I don't, um, I'm like, I'm literally thinking back through life and I'm just like, gosh, it's like, when have I, what is the most supportive thing? And I, I literally can't put my finger on one. I've, I've the thing that comes to mind is, you know, just this past January when when my boy Jason passed away, that was like the first time that I ever felt like this overwhelming support from just like a, a bunch of people in general. Um, my mom kind of stepped up definitely and, and checked in. Um, Zena the same way. But honestly, like I've never just felt like at any point in time that there's just been this overwhelming support of, you know, maybe feelings or something that I'm doing to be honest. So, yeah. All right. We are ready. We are connected. We are grounded. So it is game time. And here in season two, what we are doing with the Men Up podcast is reflecting back on this pandemic, on this time where there have been multiple crises and thinking about what have we learned and what are we going to take with us when we get beyond this moment. So for this week, we are focusing in on counseling on therapy on getting that kind of mental support and will you are leading the way so take it away all of us have had individual conversations about either our current thoughts or our current investments uh and and just you know evaluating whether you know therapy counseling is right for us my journey with therapy started when i was 22 right out of college and um, started having anxiety and panic attacks and i had no idea what was going wrong. And uh, my mom put me, uh, had me go see a therapist uh, when I was just still living at home after college in um, New Hampshire. Um, soon after that, I went to New York City. I took a break from therapy, but the uh, anxiety and the panic attacks started coming back. Uh, found a therapist there. Uh, was pretty sure he was uh, addicted to cocaine. You know, it was a, it was a classic therapy uh like horror show of you know trying to convince me that uh you know of all these things that i knew i wasn't you know and uh and and so we've done that took another break from that um and uh and you know have seeked it out for many many years a turning point for me in my support of therapy though too was when talking with my wife um figuring out that i couldn't be the emotional support anchor sometimes for some of the stuff that she needed and and i you know asked 
you know, and, and, and encouraged her to go out and seek it herself because I knew that that was just a role that I couldn't carry um, for our relationship. And so that was a, a certain turning point. I wanted to start us off on the conversation by asking how much you identify with this specific quote. If you just tell me like, dude, you're a bit messed up. You need about 10 sessions around a hundred dollars each. That's a thousand bucks. I'd be like, cool, bro. I'd budget for that. How much do you identify with that rationale when evaluating either currently or previously sort of getting into or starting therapy? Shabu, you're the most contemplative right now. So I'm going to start it with you. You can't see it on the screen, I guess, but that's, that was, that was my cue. That's, was. that's my face all the time. Just really contemplative <laughs> at all times. Yeah. It, it throws people off a lot. Also, it may have the origin of the word contemplative. Um, to contemplate. <laughs> I'm sure it's Latin. You know what's funny about that, Will, for me, was thinking about just the other day I was doing my normal monthly budgeting. I check in, you know, two to three times a month on that mon monthly budgeting. And I budget plenty of money to buy coffee. I budget plenty of money for groceries. I budget plenty of money for things to get me through so that I can thrive week by week. I don't budget for mental health support or for therapy or for counseling. Even though I've even just started it now, it's still not in my budget, right? So to that point, I don't, I don't know what the block has been for me up until this point, till 37, 38 years old, where I just don't even consider it as a thing to budget for. Rather than a necessity, I think of it as a nice to have. I think the thing that had to shift for me was a longstanding idea I had around, you know, therapy is just essentially somebody listening to you. And if you have some good friends that listen to you and give you feedback, you're good to go. And that's something that I developed in my teens and maintained until the last year or so. And, and finally recognized that Oh, one, your friends have a limitation to how they can support to your point of you supporting your partner, Will, and your wife, right? There's a limit to that. But that's the same limit for your friends too, right? Like, and they also have a connection to you that's sometimes not as helpful than what a therapist can offer, right? And it was only this past year that I was able to get beyond that long-held mentality and belief. So can I, can I ask a question? What what does become the difference, right? I've never seen a therapist. Um, I know a number of people that have. Um, no one's ever really described what their experience is. So, like, what does separate a, a therapist from a coach? What does separate talking to a therapist from a group of friends that you trust? Like, what becomes, like, the defining difference? I mean, it, it's a cliche term, but it's a safe space outlet, right? Um, it's a place where you can ramble on about whatever you're thinking. And then there's a skilled conversationalist throwing prompts out there that maybe shift your thinking, you know, in the moment. And the reason why I focus too, I just want to go back to this because I think it, it articulates your point too, Lamar, where I think some people think that there is like an end game to therapy. It's like you're, it's like basketball practice. Like you're gonna, if you just keep putting up buckets, sure. you're, you're going to be Steph Curry. And it's, and it's not necessarily that it's repetition and practice certainly of like, you know, how to, how to, you know, analyze yourself and how to, you know, treat yourself right. And, 
mentally and those sort of things. And, and so I think for me, a lot of the focus is on framing up my thoughts in a way that's helpful rather than maybe harmful. So you said you had panic attack and anxiety, right? Like that is like a physical representation of, you know, being, being challenged with like some sort of, well, you know, challenge. So how does the therapy support something like that? Particularly, I mean, in that situation, uh, you don't know what's going on. You have no idea what's going on. And it's not like a doctor is necessarily going to be in the position to be like, oh, this is, they'll tell you maybe specifically your heart rates are up and your this, that, and the other thing. Like they'll, they'll, they'll be in the mechanics of what's happening with your body. But the therapy was more or less like, here's the situation, this is a thing. And then they start weaving, tell, like, like basically telling the story of like what situations are putting you into that, what stressors are existing in your world that you're maybe, you know, uh, unconsciously uh, adding to your, you know, plate of things. My physical uh, representation of panic attacks was that I could not eat a meal I had a really, I had a food-based panic attack where I could not eat a meal in a, in a group bigger than one other person. So I could, if we sat, all four of us sat down at a dinner in New York City for the period of probably two to three years, I would not be able to eat any of that food. It would just, it's not that I didn't like it. It's not that I didn't want to eat it. I wanted to eat it. I tried. I would I would either throw it up or I would, it was something with the social aspect of eating in a group that was just like a huge blocker for me. And so I would have to, you know, I'd, I'd take a lot of doggy bags and stuff, you know, home with me. And I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on. I had no idea. And it was, and it would, I, I felt no other physical shifts, basically. Just that physical presence of talking through some of this was enough to knock me out of whatever was going on mentally. Will, I think this is maybe the second conversation we've had about therapy and, and counseling and stuff like that. Like, I remember one time us talking about it very briefly, you know, I think yeah. it was maybe a year or two after you started uh, seeing a counselor and, and, and getting therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fascinating, right? Because you and I have known each other now for three plus decades. I think about uh, Drew, you and I have known each other for two decades, just about. And it was only over the last year that you and I, Drew, were talking about seeking out mental help and therapy and support and stuff like that. So, it's, you know, it's fascinating and honestly, a, a bit alarming, I think, for four guys that are pretty like in tune with themselves having vulnerable conversations. The fact that we still don't all like really have conversations about mental health and therapy. It is indicative of like, I think what is often barriers for men in general in accessing therapy and support. And so Drew, I wonder for you, you know, in the past year, what was a shift where it became, Oh, this is something I should actually consider or look into. I think for me, and I, I think others can identify with this, just the heaviness that has been 2020 and the continuation of 2020 social unrest, pandemic, pick your order, um, having your family with you all the time, 24 seven, 365. I think my need and desire to pursue it is all about finding additional space to what Will was saying, like unpack me and unpack my thoughts and having someone with a professional skill set to do that. 
And I want to say this, because I think it's a good point that you bring up Shabu, whether it's about us four or just like men in general. I think there's a myth of like, yes, I can, or I can figure this out. And if we're going to unpack masculinity, the new rule needs to be like, I can do it with the help of others. And I think what's particularly challenging with the four of us is like, we're great friends. We can hold each other. We can hold space. But one, timing is an issue, which is called what it is, right? And then two, how do you not let your friendship and your identities bleed into the conversations you're trying to really just listen to? You're trying to really just be um, objective and non-judgmental. How many times in our lives do we have a relationship where the other person just freaking listens and just asks questions to learn more about you? I don't know about you all, like I have less than on my hand. Drew, to your point, some of the language or at least some of the dialogue needs to shift. Both of the prompts that got me back into therapy in, in various ways was somebody in my life saying, dude, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You're, what is this? And I was just, and I, every, at both, all times, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. I'm not sure. And so I think to a certain extent, you, you know, the expectation almost in, in the probably normal society right now still is like, you wait till the break, you wait till the break to acknowledge it. And it's actually like, no, 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 no. It, we have to shift it to a more normalized conversation so that the break doesn't even happen. Speaking of what you're saying is the conversation has to change, right? Instead of saying, asking your, your close friends and people that are around you, instead of asking them, look, oh, how's, how's everything going? Like you're giving them an out to just be like, fine. Mm. Versus saying, well, you guys have been married for four years now. What's, what's going on with your marriage? What's the best thing happening there? What's the worst thing happening there? You know what I mean? I think that those types of questions that are very like intentional and pointed uh, kind of force people to answer and respond differently. I also think that um, you yourself, when you share with people, and I think this is a strategy that I try, is that when people do ask me what's going on, I always, not always, but a lot of the times I lead with, what am I like? What am I struggling with? What am I working on? Instead of saying like, "Oh, everything's great. I'm doing this, this, and this," I'm like, you know what? Things are good, but my challenge right now is, you know, my finances, or my challenge right now is, you know, the baby's stressing me out. I'm, the last couple of weeks, I haven't slept very well. You know what I mean? So leading with this, with this idea that life isn't perfect and that I'm trying to work through something, and I don't necessarily need to talk about it, but. I'm going to put it in the space. So if I, if you're going to allow me to, and, or if you want to go into something that you need to talk about, that we can do that. The, the people that said, dude, what's wrong with you? Were those like surface friends, coworkers, how aggressive were they when they said that to you that really kind of like snapped you out of it? One of them was, I mean, my still to this day, one of my best friends who, when I was living at home, he, he and I worked together almost every day as um, sports camp directors and stuff. And he was the one that sort of shook me out of, you know, that. So good friend. And then the other one was a coworker who, you know, I think for, for a while was sort of a mentor type thing where, you know, he was 
always looking out for me. He was the one that recommended, you know, me for the job that I got and all that sort of thing. So we were close enough that, you know, he, I think he, he knew and, and we're still friendly to this day. It just feels like you got to have some balls to hit somebody up and be like, dude, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it just, to me, it just sounds like how many of us have the courage to actually say something like that to somebody like, right. yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the thing is too, is like, and I should take that back. Not just balls, but any kind of body part <laughs> that is strong. And actually, it's balls are not the strongest reference. <laughs> it, it, it's not just testicular fortitude. Exactly, exactly. But you said it. You said it, it. You did say courage, right? It is. It is the courage part that that I think is is the most. It, it takes a ton of that, and and it takes you know em, empathy until somebody does that. Until somebody sort of like knocks you off your wobble it's going to take way longer for you to figure out what the thing it is that you need. But if somebody knocks you off your wobble, you're like, okay, whoa, let me figure this out. Lamar, I wonder for you. So for the folks that are listening, which is all of you, Lamar every week. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Hey, we want the fans that just download too. We just want the fans that just download it. Right. You know, that's, those are the, the numbers. Y'all can't see that every week Lamar is putting up some sort of flip chart paper that he has some sort of message that's related to the episode. And behind him says, therapy is humanizing. And Lamar, you are a coach professionally and personally for people. And so I wonder for you, though, as somebody who hasn't engaged with any sort of like therapy or mental health support, are there any barriers for you to not enter into doing that? I'm open to it. I just never, I think the way I've always kind of viewed it is that, you know, therapy was, and I I learned a little bit today just by listening to what Will was saying, but I've always kind of viewed it as like therapy is where you go when like there's something that you just can't quite shake. Right. And I think what Will is saying is that like, and also Drew saying the same, it's like, no, it's just a safe space for you to be able to communicate your feelings and have someone that's unapologetically and fully listening to you and your side and your story and what your experience is. Um, and I, and I totally think that's valuable based on what I said at the very beginning of the show, which was why can't I think of anybody or anyone that has supported me in one main thing fully is because I honestly just feel like I don't have that. Um, and so, you know, it, maybe it's something that I need to look into. I'm going to get on a soapbox so you all pull me off after like 90 seconds. Coaching is not therapy. For men particularly, coaching sounds like the stronger thing to do. And I want to call a spade a spade and and I'll own myself to that too because like part of me and my hesitancy of doing therapy um, has been like, well, I'm a coach. I can do this. I I can coach myself. But it's getting too heavy now to use the physical feeling. Like everything going on, particularly as an Asian American and the racial secondary traumas I'm experiencing, just going through my IG feed, how do I deal with that? And so that's opened up the doorway to therapy. In my experience with myself getting coached, right? Like there is often an expectation of like moving forward on a thing, a project, you know, professional career, right? Whatever the case may be. Whereas I think about my experience right now in therapy, which has been the longest, uh, has been the longest amount of time that I've been doing therapy consistently is listen, I just paid Jeff. And the way I think about it is Jeff's listening to me, just share whatever I want to share for a half hour, hour. 
I can just say whatever I need to or want to, right? And there's no expectation necessarily that, oh, I'm going to have an action step to come out of this or like we're moving forward in a project, right? I mean, he's really great at like getting things actionable, but but there's not that expectation. And, and that could be just for me, but that's a dynamic that I see as a, as a real big difference. Chip in a Bottle is the official sponsor of season two of the Men Up podcast. Chip in a Bottle is a chocolate confectionery specializing in handcrafted truffles and sweet treats. I can promise you that the detailed hand painting on each piece of chocolate, the silky smoothness of the gelato, and the delicate decadence of the French macarons are unlike any dessert experience you've ever had. I especially love the Nutella milk chocolate truffle. Mmm, so good. Visit chipinabottle.com to get any of the dozens of unique flavors shipped to you or your loved ones. Chip in a Bottle is the new taste in chocolate and the official sponsor of the Men Up podcast. You know, Shubu, I wanted to also touch on, you, you mentioned the side I have up that says therapy is humanizing. And even though I've never been through therapy, the experiences I have had, um, the reason I th- say it's humanizing is because it, it just forces you to be in touch with your thoughts, with your feelings, uh, with your relationships in a way that day-to-day life doesn't force you to. Um, and also in a way that day-to-day life has typically t- has us hide. When it's too much to handle, then what do you do? Do you admit that it's too much to handle or do you keep hanging on by the cliff as, as Will was saying? And I feel like most folks kind of just hang on to a cliff until they kind of get through it. Um, instead of offering up this opportunity to kind of like work through it or be listened to or be supported through, I think by the nature of America, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like it's just not, it's just not in the DNA of our, of our society and of our citizens to like ask for help. And it's so unfortunate um, across the board, across the board, not just uh, from a, a therapy standpoint, but from anything in life you need help with, like people are scared to ask for help because they don't believe people are willing to help them or they don't want to be a bother to someone, you know, if we're going to help kind of move the needle and level up, it's how do we redefine partnerships? You know, what, what supportive behaviors are, do I need from someone else? Like back to Lamar's starting lineup question, because that just looks different. Thinking about where we've been so far this season, right? Episode one, we were talking about parenting and fatherhood and what we learned during this time. Obviously there are a lot of challenges as well as opportunities that have come up through this pandemic and through these crises. We then were talking about, you know, the ideas of dealing with grief and mourning and loss and death during this time. Again, some some challenge and some opportunity that comes up there. What are we learning now around therapy, around counseling that we can take with us beyond this moment in time? Because I gotta tell you, I've read plenty of op-eds, I've read articles and surveys and studies that have shown that like this time, this over a year now, that we've experienced collectively is going to have a significant impact on our mental health, whether we are young people, older people, men, women, gender non-conforming. As human beings, this time has been a really challenging time from a mental health perspective. And there's going to have to be work that all of us you know, connect with and, and get into. So what are we learning individually? And what are we learning collectively that we can take with us beyond this moment? And I was just talking to my partner about this uh, just yesterday is that 
there is truly, 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 truly so much nuance to relationships, conversations. Uh, it's so intricate, like your communication, the way things are said to people, what we see, what we don't see, what gets missed, what doesn't get missed. Like my thing is, is that the society that the person I was 10 years ago, like, I don't even know how I operated, man. Like, because I missed everything. Like nothing was a big deal. Nothing was a big deal. Like, oh, like somebody's got it worse. And I think about myself at 37 and I'm just like, every word that comes out of my mouth has impact. Everything that I think about carries weight. Everything that, you know, I do in my relationships, like, has an impact on somebody. And it's just like mind blowing the amount of baggage that we carry from all of that, that is not like supported or, or, or lifted up. And so I'm just like constantly reminding myself to like analyze everything. To your point, Lamar, I think you carry all those thoughts with you and we're always going to carry them. And there are actually studies, I'm not sure Shibu, if you were reading these ones particularly, but they're like, genes get altered by going through grief and going through trauma genes get passed on to other generations uh you know in in this so there is going to be absolutely lasting impact here i think that 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 has been you know um through so what i think and 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 certainly what has been uh a underlying theme of our first couple episodes here too is a a hopefully a through line of empathy towards how others are either handling themselves, handling the moment, carrying all their thoughts through to the thing. Like judgments matter when you're you know weighing all of those things at the same time too. In terms of like not necessarily jumping to judgments and and what i mean by judgments matter like you don't like do not be so quick to judge people on what they're going through and so hopefully all those things carry through uh this moment and, and extend on because living in a more empathetic world is going to lead to more normalizing of a lot of these these conversations that we're having right now you made me think about this will when you're talking about the you know therapies that journey. So I guess for me, I'm still in the early, early stages of the journey trying to find the right fit because that, that's recommended for therapy. It's, you know, really um, do that consultation call and make sure it's the right fit topically, style, et cetera, because it's personal. So I guess what I'm learning is that I'm unpacking this myth of I can do it alone. Um, I'm, and I'm leaning into more of do more with others and get help. And help is courageous and back to the modeling piece like that's something that i want to model for my kids and with the relationship with my wife again we've mentioned this word like heaviness like i can bring a lot of this stuff to her and i do but at the same time what's fair for her you know to take on my heaviness and why don't i redistribute and find another someone to partner with me in unpacking these feelings emotions and thoughts what about you, Shabu? What what have you learned? And now that you're leading in, you have Jeff, and you know, thinking back over the last year and change. Yo, shout out to Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, you're you're great, Jeff. Uh, so you know, to your point, Drew, talking about finding the right fit. 
what I hear there or re what resonates for me is accessibility, right? And I think that that was one of the things that was a barrier for me before this moment in time, before this pandemic. And I think that the accessibility looks like a couple things. One, I want to be clear that it wasn't from a, from a monetary standpoint, right? I had the resources to put forward for therapy or for counseling. I had those resources. I was just choosing not to put it forward for that. So I think that's an important distinction, but there was, there was some accessibility that was challenging in finding a therapist that felt like a good fit, right? Or just like finding doctors generally. Like I, I have often experienced like not having uh, great experiences finding doctors that fit well. And that includes um, doctors that are focused on mental health, right? And so that had been a barrier for accessibility, right? And then the final piece was time. I had convinced myself with work, with all these other things that I had going on that, you know, I can't make the time for this or, you know, a therapist can't meet me at seven, eight o'clock at night when it would work. All of those barriers for accessibility have kind of fallen away now that I'm using Headspace, uh, now that I'm using Talkspace or I'm using BetterHelp, right? These online platforms that make counselors accessible from anywhere across the country, right? Like I can literally get on my, my call with Jeff in my living room, in my kitchen, at seven o'clock at night. And so I have no more excuses. Hey, can I just add one thing, whether this makes it on the pod or not? I think part of why we even brought this up, if you all think back to last year and NBA bubble, we talked about the idea of how mental health is going to really impact the player's performance. Right. And now a year later, months later, like, you know, players have come out, like Paul George is saying that. So I guess I just want to name like, this is about taking care of your mental health, another aspect of health that, look, men, women, you know, all identities, like if you care about your health, this is a significant aspect that you got to, you know, take care of as well. Drew, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, was the three-year anniversary. People were posting on Twitter about Kevin Love writing yeah. about his mental health struggles in The Athletic uh, or the Players, players, players Tribune. Yeah. Players Tribune. Thank you. And, um, and that was a big moment. I think a turning point for certainly NBA players, professional athletes and those sort of things, because he was so open and honest about what, what he was going through. If you think about this, everyone, how will Kevin Love be remembered in the NBA? Like sure. He'll have champion behind him. That might be one of his biggest contributions ever more than the rebounds and points scored, you know, to create that inflection point. Will, thank you for leading us through this conversation. And we've referenced several, whether it's articles or resources that have helped us in this journey around mental health, around counseling and therapy. We always want to leave y'all with whatever resources, ideas, people that we can offer that allow for new insight, further inspiration for the level up. We call it the outlet pass. So I'm going to kick us off here. You heard me mention it earlier in the episode, but platforms like BetterHelp, Talkspace, these are really affordable options from my perspective to access mental health, right? And they're super cool the way that they're set up where you can sign up for a certain counselor or therapist, go through a session or two, and if it's not working out, it's really easy to shift counselors and, and therapists and the scheduling on both platforms works great. I also shout out to a lot of the podcasts out there right now that have had ads for BetterHelp and Talkspace during this pandemic, really leaning into the fact that we collectively need mental health support. So those are my outlet passes. Will, over to you. What do you got? So my outlet pass today is Movember's uh, support page. Uh, they have a whole list of uh, comprehensive 
uh, ways in which you can get support for yourself, uh, for those in, uh, that you may know that are in need. Uh, it covers everything from immediate support, uh, including the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, Crisis Text Line, also Family and Relationship Services, Youth Support, Social Services and Employment Services, uh, Grief or Bereavement Support, and uh, Drug and Alcohol Counseling um, and other services. Uh, and uh, it's just a, a perfect place for uh, you to find a whole bunch of different resources for you. Thanks for that, Will. Drew, over to you. What do you got for us? Yeah, I'm going to just shout out an Instagram handle. It belongs to, make sure I get this right, Dr. Jenny Wang. And um, her Instagram handle is Asians for Mental Health. So I, I messaged her prior to this just to kind of ask, you know, some resources of, um, you know, searching for a therapist. And then specifically for me as an Asian American man, like, why am I having such a hard time admitting that, like, it's good for me? And so um, I shout out her, but I also recommend just go on, use your social media channels. Like there are therapists that are using that as outreach and it's really helpful, especially if you're pursuing therapy um, to really learn like best practices, um, even learning things like cost and sliding scales, like just there's a lot of research you can do before you actually show up and have that therapy appointment. So go do it. And shout out to you, Drew, for reaching out through social media platforms to get those kind of resources for yourself and for all of us. We appreciate that. Lamar, but what about you? What do you got? Uh, for myself, I wanted to share with the audience if you have uh, teenagers, college students, um, I have been developing for the last year and a half a journal for young people ages 17 to 22 uh, for this exact reason, uh, for them to be able to kind of write and journal through their um, mental space and their relationships and uh, and their goals and, and the person that they want to become in their life and, and doing it through this, this tool called the U-Book Journal. Uh, so if you would, if you're interested in that, you can just go on to, uh, my Instagram, Lamar Womble, and, uh, there's a link there that'll take you to like a slide deck and you can learn more about what that is. And I can send you a digital copy. All right, y'all. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you're leaving with a level up and that you'll join us again. Please subscribe, review, and spread the good word so that we can all redefine and thrive. Appreciate y'all. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up Podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.